We are in our last week of our Jesus series, and we've made it. Hey, we started this series. We were looking at kind of the life of Jesus and through various events. We looked at pre, uh, pre-incarnation, right? We looked at uh, John 1.1, where we learned about the logos and the word becoming flesh. Andy talked about the plan. We've walked through a lot of the ministry points of his life. And the plan, how it worked out, was we actually made it so that it lined up on Good Friday. And how many people were at the Good Friday service uh, with young Didn't they do a great job? Uh, with our band, with Andrew Getter, and I know Andy took a lot of the credit for it, and uh, <laughs> it was a great, great evening, and, and now we are post-Easter, right? Resurrection happened, and we're going to be closing off our series tonight, uh, the Jesus series, and we have two more NYAs, which uh, the week after we'll be having Freddie speak to us, and then Andy will close it off, and then we're at Float Fest, so just looking forward, that's what it's looking like. As I think about my time working with Andy Steiger, there is one thing that he utters probably once a week. And sometimes he'll say it quietly, sometimes very vigorously. Often he will, uh, he, he will say, maybe you've heard this, he'll just look at you and say, believe, Daniel, believe. And uh, th- for example, we were talking about Float Fest and thinking, can we get 200 people out to Float Fest this year? And I'm saying, Andy, I mean, we didn't get that last year. He looks at me. Believe, Daniel. And so I've started using this at various different times. I want you to imagine, you know, you're driving and you're at one particular location and the store you're trying to get to is closing in a half hour. And the people in your car are saying, oh, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. And you turn to them and you say, believe. And then you drive through all that traffic. And you, maybe you run a few yellow lights to get to where you're going. You pull into the parking lot of that particular store, and you say, you doubted me? Believe next time, right? Maybe you've done this. And so this is, try this out. It's a lot of fun. This evening, we're looking at belief. We're looking at the story of Thomas. And if you know, if you've, if you've read your Bible, oftentimes we, we hear of Thomas, he's doubting Thomas. And this evening we're going to be looking at that story, and we're going to be looking at how that's actually not really a fair characterization of Thomas, okay? Uh, yes, he doubted, but everyone doubted. And so we're going to be looking at that tonight under three headings. And in typical Northview fashion, it's alliteration, okay? I'm calling it Triple D, brought to you by Guy Fieri and Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. The three, <laughs> what we're doing tonight. We're gonna learn three things. We're gonna learn something about doubt, declaration, and decision. Doubt, declaration, and decision. Take that, Jeff Bucknam. <laughs> Triple D, here we go. As we learn about doubt, declaration, decision, I want to plant in your mind right now, at the end of this evening, I'm going to invite you uh, to make a decision. Okay, I'm, I'm foreshadowing here, but we're going to be ending on decision, but maybe uh, you've never made a decision for Christ. Maybe you need to actually make another decision for Christ. And maybe you're actually following him really faithfully right now. And I want you to be thinking about that decision that you made as you, um, as you sit here tonight. So let's begin. First, we're going to look at doubt. John chapter 20, verse 24 to 25 reads, Now Thomas, also known as, known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. So as we look, about, look at this story today, uh, let's just remember, remember where we've been. If you uh, have read along, maybe you've been following along in our text of scripture that we've been sending out to you, one of the things that uh, you will see in the Easter story is Jesus goes to his death, and then he's resurrected, and who finds him? Well, uh, Mary goes down to the tomb, and the stone has been rolled away, and she, she goes and tells Peter and John, and if you know that, they come running down the hill, and John is the, the writer of this gospel, and they go running down, and he enters into the tomb, and they notice that the body has been removed from the tomb, right? Jesus isn't there. And then we hear that, oh, Jesus has been risen again, and everyone is like, are you kidding me? So there's a scene that happens just before uh, this, this passage here in John chapter 20. When the disciples are together, they are meeting together, and it'll describe that the room that they're in is locked. They are hiding in secret. And appearing to them is Jesus. And he says, peace be with you. And he, and he shows up, and he is in the room with them. And he begins to say, look at my hands, look at my side. And they, they've seen their risen Lord. This is on Easter. Now, who wasn't there on Easter? Thomas was not there. And so this story, you know, you can imagine Thomas, um, all the disciples talking to him saying, oh my goodness, Thomas, you will never believe what happened. Jesus came back and he was here. Or maybe, you know, if <laughs> Thomas checks his Instagram and he looks, he sees all the stories of Peter, we just saw Jesus. And uh, they're walking around and, and, they're, and he's like, well, thanks for the invite, guys. I had no idea that I was not invited to this party. For whatever reason, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but uh, he wasn't. And so he is probably living with these disciples over and over and over again saying, this is, is the greatest thing that has ever happened. Oh, you should have been there, Thomas. And with his hands, you should have seen the holes in his, in the side. Like it was Jesus. And I didn't think it was at first, but oh my goodness, it was. It totally was. It was him and he talked to us and it was his voice and his teaching and he revealed all this stuff to us. And you can imagine Thomas saying, da, 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 da. my best friend died a week ago. I watched Jesus die. I, I, he's dead. And I, and I saw that tomb. So stop telling me that, that he is alive, okay? You're saying, you're like, it's like you're describing a ghost who has come through. You said the doors were locked. So, so look, I want to see it myself before I believe you. Maybe you, uh, there's been a lot of talk about Avengers, and don't worry, I'm not going to say anything. But, you know, when you, when you talk about it and your friends, we've got Avengers in the front row here, and uh, they'll come out and they'll say, it was the best movie ever. I'm like... I'll see it for myself. Thank you very much. And I'll make that decision. I'm kind of like Thomas in this moment. I don't, like, I'm kind of doubting you, but you doubted before because you didn't know if it was going to be the best movie ever. But I'm kind of doubting too going into it because I'm going to see for myself if it is. And this is exactly the place that we find Thomas in. He is coming to a place um, of, yes, being in doubt, but he's, he's curious. What we know about Thomas, if you see him in the other gospel writings as he appears throughout, when he knows something, he's committed to something, uh, he, he's immovable. He, he is right in it, in, in the thick of things. Like, he will go where you need him to go. So th there's no question of his loyalty. But he wants to be sure. 
He wants to be sure. And for Thomas, that means I want to see him. I, I want to be able to see these hands that you are describing. I want to see this side that you are describing. So why does John include this story, this opening of John here? And I think it's because doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. Doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. It's not like as soon as you become a Christian, you have all the answers. There are moments, and you will find over and over again, where you sit there and you say, okay, but what about this? I remember um, I, I've grown up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor. And uh, so I've always been raised with the gospel and knowing the stories and, and hearing about it. This was never something that, I, that was new to me. It was something very familiar, but I remember in grade eight when we, my, our class started doing a world religions um, curriculum thing. We, we looked at all the different world religions, and for the first time, I was a little bit confused about how could there be all these religions, and are they actually um, all worshiping the same like God? How does that work? And so I found myself in a place of doubt. I really did, because all of these people who have, have lived their lives around the world, who's to say that that they're not right, and that I'm just because I've, I've grown up in Christianity that, that Jesus is the actual way. And so I found myself in a place of doubt, but what I did also find is through it all, I found answers. And the thing that's interesting about doubt is when it comes to something like your faith, we take doubt seriously because if we follow them through, and then the very thing, if Christianity is true, the, the stakes are pretty high, Right? The stakes are high. Doubt is important because what we're seeking, if we're seeking truth, that matters. So we see Thomas here in a place of doubt. And even years later, all right, I'm starting to become a pastor. I'm going to seminary right now to, to be a preacher, to be a pastor. I'll sit at my desk and I'll sit there and, and I'll think to myself, do I really believe all of this? This is just, it's so bizarre. What if it was all just made up? What if it was just all neurons in my brain firing? just making, making me feel this way, or just emotionalism. And, and maybe you found that in your life, too, where there's this little bit of doubt that creeps in. But what I want to point you to in this text here is notice that while, while Thomas wasn't uh, there for Easter, we see a week later, he, he's with his community. He's with his friends. And I want to encourage you tonight that the church is a place where you can bring your doubts and a place that you can bring your doubts to your friends. This is something every one of us at different moments is going to have doubts. That doesn't make us any less of a believer. We all have a different journey that we're on as part of God's story. But as we are moving through the story, little things are going to come up. And let me tell you, it is a gift to have the church because the church is a, a, a body, right? We are a community that help each other through this. And so I just find it so interesting uh, that, that we find Thomas here he hasn't abandoned his friends, but he's with them. Even though he, he's a little bit skeptical in this moment, he's still with his friends. I have seen this um, uh, in a really profound way. I did a study abroad semester in England one time, and I met this guy, Andrew. And I met this other guy named Rex. Now, Andrew was a very devout atheist, and he was befriended by a man, Rex, who was a very devout Christian. And I'll tell you what, Rex didn't have all the answers, but this guy had faith, and he believed, 
And he was so sure of it. And, and he was so sure in, in who Christ was and the promises of, of Scripture that, that Andrew, this, this atheist, he, he, would, he would work through all these things in his mind and be asking Rex all these, all these questions. And just in his vulnerability, Rex would honestly just kind of say, bro, I don't know the answer. But let's, let's find it together. And over, over time, it actually wore Andrew down. And the loyalty of this friendship, the loyalty of this Christian community, eventually when Andrew got his answers... He said, I, I, I must follow Christ. I cannot give, give up this, this loyalty, this, this community that I see. And for Andrew, he would say that while all of the answers that he, that he learned and, and got to understand, right, these doubts that he had, it was the community that really he, he couldn't give up. And he says, if they're not giving it up, I shouldn't give up trying. And so you do know that every year, right, Andy runs Apologetics Canada. We have an Apologetics Canada conference that, that happens here where you can bring doubts and questions and hear some of the top people in the world bring these intellectual discussions to the table, and you can hear answers that probably a lot of them, they go over my head, okay? But I'm telling you, there are, there are answers if you seek them. And, I, and from my own personal experience, as I think about my story and my faith, every single time I've had a significant doubt, I've always found a satisfying answer. Sometimes it takes a lot of work but I've always found a satisfying answer. There's a reason Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. Whether you are um, a very simple-minded person, you will find the gospel satisfying. And whether you're the, 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 the top intellectual, you will find the gospel satisfying if you search for the answers and you, you work through these doubts. So doubt is a normal part of the Christian life. What matters is what you do with these doubts. So let's keep reading John 20. 26 to 28. A week later, okay, so this first event after they appeared to Thomas and they say, we saw Jesus. This is happening a week later after Thomas says, I need to see him myself. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, quick moment here, why were the doors locked? The reason is they were in hiding, right? They, there's a lot of, of persecution that's beginning to happen especially towards Christians. And so out of fear from, from the Romans, from the government, they just watched Jesus die. They're, they're meeting in secret, behind locked doors. And so as they're in this room, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He looks him in the face to Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God. I want you to imagine this scene, right? The door's locked and um, they're talking. Maybe they've just started eating dinner and they're all, you know, some people are talking about the event last week. Oh my goodness, I just still can't believe we saw Jesus. What does this mean for us. I mean, are we just seeing a ghost? What is going on? And maybe you've, I don't know if you've ever been at a social setting when someone with a lot of uh, status walks in the room, or maybe your boss walks in the room, or maybe even in high school, you've had a, a really strict teacher. They walk in the room, the room just kind of deadens a bit and it gets quiet. And I, I just imagine as I'm thinking about this scene, you have, you have everyone talking and mingling, and then the room just gets a little bit quiet. And then they hear kind of a familiar voice say, peace be with you. And then everyone knows, oh my goodness, he has come back. 
Jesus is here. And what's super crazy about it is, wait a minute, he just appeared here? And yet, he goes to Thomas and says, here I am. You see my hands? You see my side? Now, there's something very significant here that, that, um, that, that is being included by John. Now, if you remember, as we began this, this, this series, one of the first messages I did was from John chapter 1. Right? Talking same author, John chapter 1. This is a major point that he's making to us here. When, when, when Thomas goes to, to Jesus and, and, and he sees him in the flesh now, right? you can imagine him just... And, and Jesus saying this to him, you want to touch my hands now? Do you want to see my sight? Do you believe? Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. I, I imagine, does he say it with a smile on his face? Right? He knows Thomas. He knows the loyalty of Thomas. Stop doubting Thomas and believe. In John chapter 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the one uh, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth what is so amazing about this passage is that it's the only time that in, in the gospel of john that there's an outward declaration that jesus is god what is thomas saying he says my lord and my God. This is a familiar phrase, by the way, that would have been uttered around Rome, especially for, for, um, for those living under this Roman rule, because Caesar was the ruling person there, right? You would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. And, and what they mean by that is, he, he is the one that we look up to, and, and they have all these gods, yes, and they, they kind of would just add gods to as they went, but you, you would utter, Caesar is Lord? Caesar is God. And when Christians would utter that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God, they were essentially showing their colors and saying, actually, I'm willing to die for this. And you have this moment now where the doubting Thomas believes in the incarnate Son of God who is fully God in the sense that he can actually pass through walls. Fully God in that he knew that Thomas had these doubts. He wasn't in the room with him a week earlier. Yet by the Holy Spirit, he knows exactly what Thomas needed in that moment. Fully God and fully man. That Jesus is, is fully God and fully man. We see John bookend this idea that he began in John chapter 1, ends it here in John chapter 20 with this outward declaration of Jesus being the one and true God. And he invites him to touch the wounds. This, by the way, was to deal with the, uh, the Gnostic heresy that existed, right? People would just say, uh, well, well, Jesus is just more, he wasn't like a real physical guy. He's actually just more intelligence and, and God is this. And if we can just somehow increase our knowledge, we can join and be part of this, this Gnostic intelligence, this spirituality. And, and what John's saying is, no. Fully God, fully man. So that you would actually believe in this. He invites, um, they, they eat with him. He passes through these walls. And so Andy is always, 
saying, he has a famous quote, Andy Steiger, faith is trusting what you have good reason to believe is true. Now, here's my question. At this moment, does Thomas have good reason to believe in what he knows to be true, right? He's looking at Jesus. My Lord and my God. And he makes this declaration. It's one of the most beautiful declarations in Scripture. And so just by way of application, when you have doubts, yes, you're going to have doubts. But work through your doubts, and you will, you'll arrive at a place of declaration. Doubt can turn into faith and declaration when your questions are Answered. For me, one of the greatest uh, apologetic reasons to believe in the faith is the fact that all these disciples go to their death. And people for years and years and years and years under persecution consistently die for their faith. What is it about the truth of Christ that, that causes them to die for, for what they believe in? Because if it was a lie, who would die for a lie? If Jesus was just a crazy person, who would die for a crazy person? But they really believed he was real. They really believed they had seen him. And as you we're going to see uh, in a few weeks, Peter really believed that. And he would go to his death and suffer and suffer and suffer, as every Christian in the early church does, and as many Christians do around the world. They suffer, but they believe. And when that faith is grounded in something true, and I know we live in a, in a society that is, that is post-truth, but it's, it's, a, it's a mess. When you ground yourself in something true and your doubts are answered, there, it, is, it is the sweetest thing. And for me, it has been a rock. For Tom, Thomas, the, the penny drops, and he, he gets it in this moment, and he believes. We must declare, and declaration is only possible with decision. Let me finish this text. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And I had a really hard time with this passage, trying to understand this, because it seems like it's, it's, a, it's a, a rebuke of Thomas. Why would Jesus appear to Thomas and then say, blessed are you because you believed and you saw me, but everyone else is, is blessed because uh, they believe in me and they don't see me? And what, what Jesus is saying is, Thomas, you have this blessing, and this is a true thing, and this is what you needed in this moment. But blessed are those who believe, and they haven't even seen me. And what does John continue to write after this? He finishes, and he writes in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are writings, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's writing this book, and he's using this example of Thomas, seeing Jesus in the flesh, and using all the examples of, of, of Jesus coming back from the dead, and all the miracles, he's using all of these to try and get you to do something. What's he, what's he trying to get you to do? Believe. John writes this so that you would believe, so that you have life everlasting, that you would have a life with hope, a life with meaning, a life with purpose. And that's something that a lot of other people can claim. 
there's an interesting, when we, when we talk about the decision to follow Christ, um, this looks different for a lot of different people and based on what you understand of, of the gospel. For my master's degree, I've been studying this old guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, he was a Welsh preacher who was living in London and preaching in London for a number of years. He writes this. To make it quite practical, I have a very simple test. After I've explained the way of Christ to somebody, I say, now are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And they hesitate. And then I say, what's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And so often people say, I don't feel like I'm good enough yet. I don't think I'm ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at once, I know that I've been wasting my breath. They're still thinking in terms of themselves. They have to do it. It sounds very modest to say, well, I don't think I'm good enough. But it's the very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough and I am in him. As long as you go thinking about yourself like that and saying, I'm not good enough, oh, I'm not good enough, you are denying God. You are denying the gospel. You are denying the very essence of the faith, and you will never be happy. You think you're better at times, and then again you will find that you are not as good as other times than you thought you were. You will be up and down forever. How can I put it plainly? It doesn't matter every other vile sin. It does not matter from the standpoint of being justified before God at all. You are no more hopeless than the most moral and respectable person in the world. Thomas is not good enough. I'm not good enough. Andy's not good enough. We are not good enough. But what Lloyd-Jones is saying, what the gospel teaches, is that it's not about you being good enough when you make this decision. It's about you realizing that you aren't. It's upside down. You aren't good enough. But he is good enough. And if we, we fall in this temptation of, of trying to live the, the Christian life, and yes, we're supposed to follow, we're supposed to walk in the ways of God, but as we walk, sometimes we, we can elevate and we try and, 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 and justify ourselves before God and show that we are the best Christians, that, that I'm, I'm doing so much more better than other people, and, and we turn it into this legalistic, legalistic way so that we are, are showing that we are our own saviors. We don't really need Christ. And Lloyd-Jones is saying you do. And the gospel says you do. Thomas needed Jesus in this moment. I need Jesus. If you call yourself a believer, it's not because of how great you've done. Because if you measure it like that, you will either become really prideful because I'm better than everyone else, or someone better will come along, someone more righteous, and you'll become enormously humbled and discouraged because I'm not good as this person. It'll either make you enormously prideful or it will crush you. Only the gospel provides the answer to both, where you can be confident in the fact that Christ did this for you, and you were humbled by the fact that Christ did this for you. This decision to follow Jesus is not out of your own doing, but out of the work of Jesus alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. That is what the church has taught for thousands of years, and that is what we need to believe this evening. At some point, you need to make a decision and believe. And let me press this further tonight. In Abbotsford, 
and say, you need, you need to make a decision and just staying in the middle is not gonna cut it. If you just sit in the middle and just think that I'm just gonna kind of coast my way through, it's not going to cut it. It's interesting, John will write in Revelation. He writes a letter to the church in Laodicea and he's writing up this revelation that he has from God. Listen to what he writes in Revelation. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and, and, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with this person, with that person, and they with me. Some of you want to ride the fence and just sit in the middle. And, and, and you're okay with just living in Abbotsford and attending church, but you haven't given your life fully to Christ. You just sit in the middle. And maybe some of you tonight have just come here because you want to meet a cute girl, or you've come and you want to meet a cute guy and live the, the Christian life and, and coast through life. And, and you think that I, I've, done, I've done enough. I'm, I'm living this, this great life. And you're just sitting in the middle and you haven't made a real decision. You live a two-way life. You, you claim all this outward stuff and then behind closed doors, you're a different person. You, you act one way at church and then when you leave the church, you're a different person. Person And Jesus is saying, when, when you live in the middle like this, it makes me want to vomit. You can't stay in the middle. I fear that many of you do. I know I've been in this place. We need to make a decision to follow Christ. And if that's not the decision we want to make, let's stop pretending. And let's just be honest and say, no, we're not gonna do this, but there could be no two ways of just sitting in the middle like this. It's interesting because the, the, this Laodicean passage, it, it describes that they're a really wealthy city. There was an earthquake, that, and what happened there is this, this city was so wealthy that in the ancient world, stuff like there's no seismic thing to save buildings. The thing, everything would collapse. And Rome had offered to rebuild the city. They said, no, we're good, we have enough, right? We are wealthy beyond anything. We have so much money to want to do with. We, we live this prosperous life. They, they had black wool, which is seen as really luxurious wool. Um, they talk about the eyes. They had this ointment that you could put on your eyes and see. And he's saying, don't you see that you're naked and you're blind and that I wanna give you this, you're covering your, like it's shame. I wanna give you white clothing that is, that is righteousness. 
And I just see this, this is a very much a picture of what we can see in, in the Western world where we say, I don't need God. And so I'm happy just living my life as it is. Will you make that decision? What has your decision been? And, and are you gonna make a decision for Christ? But look, if you, if you are, if you're someone tonight, and, and this is like your first time here, and you're like, whoa, that seems really harsh. <laughs> the, the invitation tonight is make that same decision. We want to invite you as a community to make that decision to actually follow Christ. If you've never placed your trust in Christ, maybe tonight's the night that you do that, that you, that you see the work that he's done. Maybe you've been following along and you say, actually, I, I do believe. Tonight, make that decision. Step across the line into faith and it will change your life. It will change your eternal destiny. It's not going to be easy though when you step across this line. We actually make a real decision. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you status. It might cost you maybe even a job. As, as the Western world gets more um, uh, against Christianity, it's going to cost everyone in this room something. But what costs us a little bit now will definitely pay in eternity when we sit with our king, when we see him face to face and we say, my Lord and my God. So would you, would you make that decision tonight to either follow him again, to, to repent and believe the gospel? Maybe you would make that decision for the very first time and say, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna follow him because he's true. And I know that, that we don't believe in, in truth. We're a post-truth society. But Jesus is true. And I believe. History tells us, Christian history tells that Thomas believed so much that he was actually a missionary to India. That's a long journey. And there, there's this great tradition of him actually going and ministering and, and, and end up dying in India proclaiming the gospel. And I don't know what the Lord might ask of you, but count the cost. Just because you enter into this new faith, it's not, it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. But I'm telling you, you will have the rock and you will be able to weather the storm because you're on solid ground. So tonight, think about that decision. All of life boils down to what we do with the person of Jesus. Do we stay in unbelief? Do we stay in doubt? Or do we believe? And do we follow? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me pray for us. Father, as we hear from your word, Lord, we... Um, we come before you in a place of humbleness. Father, we are not the type of people we ought to be. And so tonight, we, we look at our lives and we make the decision, Lord, to follow you. Maybe we have, haven't followed you this week. Again, we, we decide that we are gonna follow you. Maybe we've been walked, walked away for a long time. We've been sitting in the middle on that fence. We believe again, Lord. And Father, if this is the first time that 
We are to put faith in Christ, Lord. We, we decide to follow you because you are true and you are faithful and you are good. We love you and we praise you. And everybody said, amen.